This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, October 18, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. The cult of the presidency has ramped up with Barack Obama, and it shows no signs of abating. The hope and change rhetoric has faded away, but the aggrandizement of the Oval Office has not. Gene Healy is author of the new Cato ebook, False Idol, Barack Obama and the Continuing Cult of the Presidency, released today. Your first book, uh, The Cult of the Presidency, was pretty well-timed, given what we got. Uh, we had eight years of George W. Bush and then uh, George W. Bush uh, more broadly, I think, in a lot of areas uh, with Barack Obama. How has this this idea of the cult of the presidency changed since uh, your book came out? Yeah, I think the Obama presidency has been, uh, while bad for the country, has been uh, good for the sales of my first book. The funny thing, when the cult of the presidency came out, I got done writing it uh, around February 2008 at a time when I thought for sure that Hillary Clinton would be the Democratic nominee. Uh, came out that summer, summer of 2008, and I, a lot of people on the right thought it was a hit piece against George W. Bush. Uh, since then, some people have had the impression, even though I wrote it before Obama secured the nomination, that it's a hit piece against Barack Obama. In a way, they're they're both right. Uh, Obama really, the Obama presidency really underscored some of the themes of the first book. The enormous amount of hope and uh, the uh, enormous expectations Americans place into, into the presidency, how those expectations have inflated the president's job far beyond what the framers wanted the president to be, and how that in turn has uh, led to a dangerous concentration of power in the Oval Office. Uh, on each of these measures, Barack Obama has been uh, pretty much the case study. And that's why I wrote the, the, the new ebook, False Idol, Barack Obama and Our Continuing Cult of the Presidency, uh, because uh, uh, he was such an effective illustration of the themes of the first book. I thought it was a a good opportunity to introduce some of those ideas to a new audience. I remember you making a prediction on election night 2008, and that was while Barack Obama's popularity, as all presidents have a very high popularity when they take office, you said that his decline would be more precipitous than it would be uh, for any previous president. And I think that's generally been true. Uh, yet there's this paradox that you point out in the cult of the presidency that despite the fact that we distrust this office uh, so greatly, people for some reason still want to uh, invest this office with more and more power. Yeah, one of the uh, the things I point out in both books is that with great expectations come crashing disappointments. Uh, Barack Obama, more than any president in recent memory, has you know, stoked um, the American people's hopes for presidential salvation. I mean, this is a president that's going to end the age of oil in our time, uh, produce a fundamental transformation of the economy, uh, stop the ocean's rise, and on and on. Uh, well, this is a massive political problem for him uh, because when you uh, inflate the uh, public expectations, which were already far too high for what the office can do, you tend to disappoint a lot of people. So in a way, he's made his bed and he's got to lie in it. 
but the second aspect of, of that they, that you point out is uh, paradoxically, even as the president's popularity declines, it doesn't mean that his power recedes. In fact, over the last two presidencies, we've seen uh, occasions where despite the, the fact that almost no one in the, co- in the country trusts the president, uh, thinks he's doing an effective job, Congress and the people continue to hand over new powers. I don't think there's a better example of that than President Bush's last hundred days uh, in the financial crisis. His uh, popularity was below 30 percent at some points, and uh, yet Congress hands over uh, $700 billion and, you know, a huge portion of the power of the purse, uh, which he and his successor proceed to use to control the commanding heights of the economy and remake the auto industry. Um, And again, even as uh, Barack Obama's popularity has waned, you see Congress approving new surveillance powers. You see uh, them uh, passing a defense authorization bill that arguably gives the president the power to uh, imprison American citizens on American soil. So there is this, even when the love affair with the man uh, fades, there is this love affair with the office that where wherein uh, the public continues to expect great things from the presidency and continues to hand over powers that are too enormous for any one man to be trusted with. And uh, that's a problem I deal with in the new book. George W. Bush led the United States into two wars. But as you uh, correctly point out, every war that George Bush got us into, he got Congress's permission. Barack Obama, on the other hand, has taken us into arguably uh, at least a couple more wars and at no point really seemed to want uh, Congress's permission or really input into uh, how those were executed. And Congress seems to have just let that happen. What's interesting about that is that uh, even though it's, it seems hard to remember now, there was a time when constitutionalists and civil libertarians held out a little bit of hope for the Obama administration. The uh, uh, Jeffrey Rosen of the New Republic, the legal affairs editor, uh, wrote a couple times that Obama, because of his background as a constitutional law professor and uh, uh, you know, a state senator uh, who had supported many uh, civil liberties measures. Uh, Rosen wrote that Obama would be our first civil libertarian president, and that hasn't worked out too well. Uh, on the war powers issues, he, uh, on the campaign trail in 2007, said that the president doesn't have the power to authorize a military attack against another nation without Congress unless there's a case of an imminent threat. Well, it's clearly not the case in Libya. Uh, in Libya, there was no imminent threat. Uh, in fact, the president's uh, own secretary of defense went on TV and uh, admitted that uh, Libya didn't have a vital interest, uh, didn't present a vital interest for the United States. Uh, and nevertheless, uh, President Obama went to war, uh, seemed more concerned about getting the permission of the UN Security Council than the permission of the United States Congress, which he's constitutionally required to get, and uh, really advanced some remarkable theories about uh, the legality of that war. Uh, first, they, they, did, they wouldn't call it a war. They said it was a kinetic military action, uh, which is an interesting phrase. Then when the War Powers Resolution, which requires uh, the, the president to withdraw 
U.S. forces from hostilities within uh, 60 days without congressional approval. When that date, when that deadline approached, uh, they advanced the theory that, well, we weren't actually in hostilities with Libya. We were bombing them, uh, hitting them with Tomahawk uh, missiles and drone strikes. But uh, since they couldn't shoot back, uh, this was not uh, hostilities within the meaning of the War Powers Resolution. Specifically, the White House spokesman said, we didn't introduce troops here, so it's perhaps inappropriate to think of this as a war. Yeah, uh, and that's a crazy interpretation of the War Powers Resolution. Uh, you know, one of the things in the backdrop when that was passed was the bombing of Cambodia, where where they, uh, you know, the Cam- Cambodians couldn't shoot us back either. Um, and the rationale, particularly in a in an era of drone weaponry and long distance weaponry more or less says that the president can, uh, you know, launch thunderbolts like Zeus for wherever he wants. And so long as American troops and Air Force personnel are not uh, in danger of getting shot, he can make war at will. Well, that's clearly not what the Constitution or the War Powers Resolution mean, but this is the crazy theory advanced by uh, uh, what some people thought would be our first civil libertarian constitutional law professor president. Barack Obama is a known quantity when it comes to uh, how he thinks of the war power. Uh, He thinks a lot of what he does simply isn't war, even when it's dropping bombs on people who can't fight back. Uh, How do he and Mitt Romney differ? The interesting thing about their differences, uh, because, well, there's a reporter uh, for the New York Times, uh, Charlie Savage, who's done a great job by, uh, in the last two presidential election cycles, getting all the major party candidates to go on the record as to what they think uh, about executive power uh, by answering this questionnaire that Savage put together. Now, Obama answered it in 2000, late 2007. That's where he promised that uh, uh, the, he would never go to war unless there's a case of an imminent threat to the United States. Um, well, he either evolved or lied about that. Now, Mitt Romney answered the similar questionnaire this cycle. Uh, the difference between them is uh, where, whereas Barack Obama presented, uh, argued that he would uh, not violate executive power, that he would uh, remain faithful to his constitutional oath of office and uh, uh, respect the limits on the president's powers, Mitt Romney has basically openly told people that uh, he believes the president has the power to go to war without Congress. He believes that the president has the power to – has very broad surveillance powers and that the president has the power to kill American citizens uh, abroad far from any battlefield just as Barack Obama has done over the last year uh, with drone strikes. Uh, so the difference comes down to do you prefer on, – on these important issues of the president's power, do you prefer a president, Barack Obama, who lied about it and uh, uh, violated his oath of office or uh, a candidate who tells you right up front that he's going to do the same thing? And while there are some important differences between these two tickets on uh, issues like entitlements and the economy – on issues of presidential power specifically in areas where the president 
has much more control than he does over the shape of the federal budget, uh, there isn't a dime's worth of difference between these two tickets. Gene Healy is author of the new Cato ebook, False Idol, Barack Obama and the Continuing Cult of the Presidency. You can get your copy on the web at Amazon.com and Cato.org.